cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, March 27th, 2012. Now, I'm fighting something today, and, you know, oh man, I'm thinking it's allergies. We're, we have a high pollen alert here for central Indiana. So I'm on antihistamines and decongestants and Tylenol. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the comparative work to see if what people are saying, well, squares with what God's Word really says in context. What we're going to do today, I, I've made an executive decision. I'm going to switch the light edition to today. I'm fighting something and not quite, I'm just not clear-headed the way I, I need to be. And uh, I'm thinking it may be allergy-related. We have an early spring that arrived here in uh, central Indiana, and I just... Uh, saw on the weather report that uh, where I am living, we are experiencing a high pollen alert, and I'm thinking that may be the problem. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to move the light edition to today, take my Zyrtec, and uh, hope that uh, things will clear up for tomorrow, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I need to be uh, clear-minded for the things I want to do on uh, uh, tomorrow's edition of Fighting for the Faith, I want, which I wanted to do today. So what we're going to do... Uh, today, we're going to finish up the series that we've begun. At, well, we're almost done. It actually is the last two lectures by Dr. Michael Horton on the Great Commission. Uh, these are lectures number 19 and 20 uh, a, a, on a class that he taught over 20 weeks, and we did it in 10, um, on uh, on the Great Commission. So here is Dr. Michael Horton and lecture number 19. All right, let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for humbling us before your word and reminding us once again how um, dear our Savior is to us because we are those who have uh, not been able to bear that yoke that you have placed on us. Uh, 
even though you are righteous and holy and just in expecting and demanding that of us. And yet we cling to Christ who has borne it and uh, who has given us his yoke, which is uh, light, because it is uh, uh, a yoke that uh, liberates rather than burdens. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand today a little bit more about that great promise that your Son has given to us, uh, that uh, he will be with us even to the end of the age, and that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against his work of building his church. We pray all this in Christ's name, for his sake. Amen. Uh, well, we're winding down. This is, sort of the, this is the, the uh, part of this series you've all been waiting for, the end. Uh, this, <laughs> this is uh, winding up the Great Commission. Um, well, winding up our consideration of the Great Commission, in any case. And uh, we get to end with the great assurance. I, I love to ask people, I've been doing this lately as I've been reflecting on the Great Commission more and more. I've um, been asking people, what is the Great Commission? Uh, and after they, especially if it's in Presbyterian contexts, you have to sort of uh, turn them into Baptists, so they'll answer you. Uh, you know, so what, what is it? Just say the Great Commission. It's okay. It's okay. Lightning won't strike if you speak out loud. And so they do, and they start out with, you know, go into all the world making disciples and so forth. And no, no, no. It, it starts. Remember, it, you all know how it starts. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples through word and sacrament ministry. And then he ends with, for lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And so really the command to go into all the world and make disciples is sandwiched between two wonderful gospel promises. And it's just, it, it's, it's remarkable because so much, what happens when we just start with the imperative to go into all the world and make disciples is we, fear, we, we kind of think, all right, maybe the message has to be the same from age to age. But we can do that however we feel will be more effective because it's a kingdom we're building. You know, we're just told to go into all the world and, and make disciples. But Jesus is telling us, look, I'm the king of the church. I'm the one who has saved the church. You haven't made me Savior and Lord. I've made you sinner and saved. And because of that, I get to determine how my kingdom expands, and I am building my kingdom, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Not in one single passage do we have an imperative to build the kingdom of God. Rather, in Hebrews 12:28, we read that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. All of the kingdoms of this age have been shaken. They have come and they have gone. Even Israel, even that kingdom of God in the Old Covenant could be shaken and was shaken because it was dependent on inferior promises, an inferior mediator, inferior sacrifices, an inferior form of worship, an inferior temple. It was based on the obedience of Israel. Whereas the covenant that we're a part of 
that covenant that believers in Israel, even in that time, were a part of, is based on unconditional promises that are fulfilled by God in Jesus Christ. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Him, and therefore it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and it's a kingdom, therefore, that we are receiving, not that we're building. kind of changes the talk around church, doesn't it? We have all this Martha talk around the church, that we're building stuff, we're doing, you know, we're... Where, 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 and this kind of changes the subject <laughs> from, from us to God. Jesus said, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, in order to get this last line of the Great Commission, we have to understand, as I'm sure you already do, the timeline here, eschatology, last things. You know, what, what, is, what is our timeline here? And why can't Horton draw simple, uh, you know, lots of questions emerge at this point. Uh, just basic shapes. But here is, here is uh, the water of judgment that has been, uh, what I, see what I wrote the first time that I could actually read. The, uh, that Christ damned up in his first descent, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, okay, so this, this is the reprieve. This is the stay of execution, or what did I call it back here? Delay. Okay, like a dam. Christ comes down. There is a sense in which his death on the cross was for each and every person. Uh, it's a stay of execution. It provides an opportunity for everyone to hear the gospel and to respond. It's a free universal offer of the gospel that no one would have the opportunity to hear and respond to if the waters of judgment had just been allowed to, to, uh, to flow uh, to uh, all of humanity. Instead, Christ's death on the cross gives a stay of execution for everyone and bears everlastingly the wrath of God for the elect. And so right now, we have a productive interim. We have a period here in which the Holy Spirit now has been sent from the Father and the Son, and we're living in what's called the age of the Spirit. And one day... There will be no end. There will be no division between, between heaven and earth and no division between past, present, and future. We'll still be temporal creatures, but there will be no end to the kingdom that Christ establishes. The age to come will dawn with the resurrection of the dead. The, this present evil age will close with the judgment, the last judgment of the living and the dead by the Messiah. Now, this was even uh, the, the expectation of the Jews of Jesus' day, at least the Pharisees. So this isn't just Christian eschatology, this is Jewish eschatology for the most part, which is why they thought it was going to happen all at the same time. This is why John the Baptist was a little bit uh, flummoxed, uh, you know, sitting in jail, 
when by that time he thought all of this was going to happen and they would be ushered into this. And Jesus says, go back and tell John that even, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. There will be wars and rumors of wars, he says in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. These will be birth pains. Don't think that, that, that I'm coming back after every earthquake. Every time you have an earthquake, don't think, well, next Thursday, Jesus is coming. For the gospel has to be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. That's what Jesus says. And so this is the, the, like the sign at the mall, you are here. This is, this is where we are, where the Holy Spirit has descended. Christ is not present with us bodily. He is ascended at the right hand of the Father interceding for us and the Holy Spirit has been sent to lead the ground campaign and actually to indwell us so that He is our deposit guaranteeing the final redemption. We know already that we participate in the age to come. We're heirs of the age to come because we have the Holy Spirit. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit is already has a ticket. This isn't just a ticket to all fly away, oh glory, oh glory. A ticket of participation in that age to come when there will be no distinction between heaven and earth. This world will be full of the glory of God. And now, with this in mind, according to Amos and also in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, we will begin living in these last days. These last days of what? These last days of this age. And so now you could say, last days. Spirit has come. That means we're in the last days. That's what the prophet said. You know when the, you're in the last days when the Spirit comes. So we're not looking forward to it. You know, I wonder when, are we in the last days? Yeah, we've been in the last days since Pentecost. Uh, but then there is the last day, and on the last day, Christ returns, raises the dead, and it's the last judgment, and then, and then, after the Messiah cleanses, the last Adam cleanses the temple garden of all serpents and destroyers, we will all enter into the age to come forever and ever. And so, when Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, He means even up to here. Even to the very end of this present evil age which is passing away. Even to the very last day of these last days. This relieves us of an impossible burden, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, look, this is what's going to happen. I've already secured it. Now go. Get out of here. Go, go, go do your work. Go do the, tell people about this. Announce it to people. Here are the keys. Go unlock the doors. What are, you, what are you standing around for? Go unlock the prison doors. I've done it. I've accomplished everything. Oh, it's so liberating. So freeing. Liberates us for the first time, really, to love our non-Christian 
uh, uh, neighbors and uh, relatives and coworkers, to, 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 to do it out of love, not out of a sense of guilt or notches in your belt or jewels in your crown, but simply out of a, a, <laughs> an astonishment yourself with this announcement that you've heard and that you want to pass on. Now, I, I pointed this out uh, at the beginning um, when I kind of unpacked what Jesus meant by all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But his great assurance at the end is, is much like it. There's a paradoxical promise. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And yet, there's a paradox here because where is Jesus? In heaven, interceding for us. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Is this sort of like Abraham Lincoln is with us? Is this, uh, you know, uh, the spirit of the founding fathers is with us? What is, what is this exactly? Behold, I am with you. Wesley did, he didn't even make it fun. We were going to, sort, you know, uh, do it slowly and everything. He, he got, has it all, all unpacked there for us. Exactly. It goes right back to what we were talking about weeks ago, the upper room discourse in John 14 and 15, uh, where Jesus says, it's good that I go. It's good. That I, not, and that is just amazing. Whatever, what, whoever the Holy Spirit is, he's pretty important. If Jesus says, it is good that I go or he won't come. We've got to move to the next stage. What he's telling the disciples. We've got to move to the next stage now. Uh, I've done my work. And I'm going to continue doing my work. But that's heavenly work. It's interceding and it's ruling as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Because only the Spirit can do what needs to be done now. You don't need me on earth now. There's nothing that I can do on earth. Nothing I can do on earth right now that I haven't done. Until I return again. But the one person you need more than you need me on earth. Now you need me in heaven. But the one person that you need right now, right now, on earth more than me, (laughs) is the Holy Spirit. Because even while the disciples were walking with Jesus, even his own brothers, we read, did not recognize him as the Messiah. They got caught up in it all. They might, you know, slowly but surely they, they thought, you know, this is a great train ride. Uh, but they didn't believe that he was the Messiah until the very end, until the resurrection. Jesus' own brothers. And... and Peter, you know, he gives this great confession. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this. Who do you say that I am? You're the the Christ, the Son of God. Right after that, Peter says, now let's go back. A couple times you've been talking about the death, resurrection. What's this all about? See, the Messiah wasn't supposed to die. The Messiah wasn't supposed to die on, die on the cross. 
But Jesus had already told them that's exactly what he had come to do. The Messiah hasn't come just to lead an insurrection against the Romans and throw them out. He has come to bear their sins and the sins of the Romans and then be raised on the third day. And this was far more cosmic, far bigger than anybody had, had imagined. And so Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go, go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. By the way, helper is a horrible word for the Holy Spirit here. Parakletos does not, does not mean assistant. Uh, you know, aid. Uh, helper here is not very strong. Parakletos means defense attorney. Uh, Jesus is, Jesus is, uh, is the one to whom the Holy Spirit will not only bear witness, but the Holy Spirit will convict the world in the courtroom uh, of God's judgment. And he will bring conviction in our hearts. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because even the disciples who walked with Jesus were not convinced of their sinfulness. They were not, they, they were not cut to the quick until the Pentecost sermon that Peter preached. Je Jesus said much of the same things that Peter said uh, at the Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. What's the difference? Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and blesses the preaching of the word and we read they were cut to the quick and said, what must we do to be saved? Not one, at one moment did the disciples say that in the whole history of walking with Jesus for three years. Thousands said it that day. And the difference was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took what Jesus said, took the truth, and inwardly convinced, persuaded, convicted, people of their guilt before a holy God and regenerated their hearts through the preaching of the Holy Gospel. This is big stuff. This is why because Christ ascended and because the Holy Spirit descended, we know Jesus better than his brothers did. We know Jesus better than Peter did before Pentecost. And that's why Jesus said... When this is, when I, when I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the upper room. Don't talk to anybody, please. Don't, any, definitely no reporters. I want you to go lock yourself. Remember that upper room where I, you know, the, the upper room discourse and then the, instituted the Lord's Supper? You know, big moments occurred in the upper room. I want you to go there and I want you to lock the door. I don't want you to talk to anybody I can't imagine what you would say right now. Just, just go lay down and take a nap. And then I'll send the Holy Spirit and He will make you witnesses. He will make you witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's, that, that's why the very first thing that we see happen at Pentecost is the preaching of the Gospel. And that that remarkable response throughout the book of Acts associated with that phrase, and the word of God spread. But the reason the word of God has that force, has that effect in people's hearts, is because the Holy Spirit accompanies it. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that answer of faith. The Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. So we don't reach up to God. God comes down to us and he still does that 
even today. You don't have to go across the seas to bring him down or into the depths to, as it were, to bring him back from the dead. You know, how do you make Jesus alive in our world today? Uh, well, you know, we, we, we really, we, we, we have this program because we wanted to really bring Jesus into, into our worship. We wanted to really make him relevant and practical in our lives today. Paul says you don't have to do that. It's not like you have to dig him up. It's not like you have to go into heaven and pull him down, you know, with all the stuff that you plug in. You don't have to whirl him out of heaven or dig him up from the earth. He is as near, he's alive, he's raised at the right hand of God and he's as near as the word that we preach. Why? Well, because as Jesus promised, the one the Father promised has been sent. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the whole world, on all nations. And uh, because of that, the Word of God uh, has effect. The Gospel is gathering a great remnant from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people for the feast. And so we, we believe, live, and act on the basis of the covenant that was made between the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before all time for our redemption that saving work that was, that was planned before all time was executed in history in Jesus Christ. It's now complete. And we believe, live, and act now on the basis of Christ's promise to be with us by His Word and Spirit until the very end when He returns bodily in glory. This is an intermission. But this is not like your usual intermission where you just loiter around the lobby eating popcorn. Uh, this is not, you know, waiting... For the elevator. This isn't, isn't uh, rapture practice. This is not sort of trying to figure out uh, what you're going to do to leave your debts to the Antichrist. This, this, this is actually a productive delay. A productive delay. You know, some people say, I just wish Jesus would come back tomorrow. I think, well, if, if, if all, all the elect are in, sure. <laughs> But I don't want him to come back tomorrow until that is done. I'm glad that he has a timetable that differs from mine because it's a little selfish when you think about it. You know, I want him to come back tomorrow. Well, what if, what, what if tomorrow uh, was a day sooner than I had been brought to a saving knowledge of Christ? Uh, God knows what he's doing. This is a productive delay. If, if, if John the Baptist had been right, if Jesus' disciples, his own disciples, had been right before they had been corrected, uh, if, they, if they had been right and all of this were to happen in the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry, instead of being separated by this, we would all be doomed. There would have been a handful of Jews who might have gotten it, and everybody else would be toast. Instead, look at us here. And around the world, dotting the landscape with millions and millions and millions of people baptized in the same faith, confessing the same gospel, filled with the same spirit as the down payment on the same redemption that we're going to have when he raises us together as one body. 
All because, all because he, de- he has delayed, he has delayed his judgment. Now, Peter says, don't, don't misunderstand this point. <laughs> Peter says, it's not slowness as men count slowness. For people say, oh, where is the promise of his coming? Things go on as they always did. Not realizing that it is the patience of God that is leading to this reprieve. He says it will be like the days of Noah where people are, are uh, having a good time and going on with their daily business when he will come suddenly. And then this, which has been damming up, it's been stored up for all of this time, this delay will be removed, this restrainer will be removed, and the judgment will spill into this present age. It will, it will engulf, like, like, uh, uh, just as, as it did Pharaoh and his armies, it will engulf all uh, who do not know Christ, and uh, the last judgment will be final. And so Peter says, don't, don't, don't mistake this reprieve. Thank God that it's pretty much like it is normally every day. It's great that when you get up in the morning, the, the, the sun isn't turned to blood. It's great. It's a great day. It's a great day when you get up and uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the wrath of the Lamb is not hovering over your community. It's a great day. Uh, it's a wonderful day when things are just normal, normally bad. Because <laughs> they're going to get really bad in a quite different way one day in the future. This is a good day. This is a good day to repent and believe the gospel. This is the day of salvation. And Jesus says, it's not something that I've asked you to accomplish. It's something that I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Just communicate it. Just announce it. How beautiful on the hills are those who bring good news. The Holy Spirit will use that word to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ. Church may not look pretty. It may be full of internal contradictions, weakness, strife, and error like the line from uh, The Church's One Foundation, uh, by schisms rent asunder and heresies distressed. And yet, Jesus says in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, my little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom. that wonderful? In the midst of everything, all of the strife, all of the difficulty, all of the trouble, all of our wondering, how could it possibly be that in this kind of a world that, that we know, Christ could be with us even to the end of the age in the power of His Holy Spirit through His means of grace? How could that possibly be? Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't get all uptight. Don't, don't panic. Fear not, little flock. For I have overcome the world. Oh, and you have a very liberal father. He's very indulgent. And his good pleasure is to hand you a kingdom. To, to give you a kingdom. And that's what we're doing. So let us receive this kingdom. And let us worship God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire.
Any questions or comments? We'll, finish, we'll flesh this out next time, uh, uh, what it means for us being a pilgrim people. But this is uh, uh, the first of the last two. Uh, on the... Good point, yeah. Uh, yes, common grace, in God's common grace covenant that he made with Noah, he says, I won't destroy the earth ever again in this sort of way, cataclysmic uh, drowning. Um, but he has promised that that flood, which is only a preview of coming attractions, that flood pales in significance in comparison with the last judgment that will come, uh, and uh, it is that which has been delayed. In a real sense, what's happening here is, you know, things are moving forward, and this is what we're used to. It makes sense because there's a progress of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. Things are moving forward. That's true. But now we get to hear, and it's true also when you get to Noah and Israel, but now in the New in the New Testament era, let's just stay there, all of this activity gets it all confused because it's not just moving forward. Arrows are also moving downward and back up again. <laughs> and things are moving in all sorts of directions. You can even say that this is porous. The, the powers of the age to come are being shot into this present evil age. We're already participating in the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come, uh, tasting the heavenly gift, being made, a partaker, being made partakers of the Holy Spirit. All this is Hebrews 6. Um, we already find rest in Jesus Christ. That rest means Sabbath. So the Sabbath is breaking into this present evil age. It's coming from the future. Now that's a little, this is a little strange. This is a little strange to get because this is not like this. The age to come is not like anything in this age. The age to come is actually heaven and the future. Heaven and the future are two different ways of talking about what we're talking about with the age to come. It's not just above, it's ahead. Because when the age to come dawns, there will be no heaven separate from the earth. There will be a new heavens and earth. And even there, the heavens refers to the cosmic, you know, the, 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 the stars and moon and sun and so forth. Uh, it, the whole earth will be, re, will be renewed, will be recreated. And that distinction between heaven and earth will disappear in the age to come. And so is this coming from the future or is it coming from above? Well, both because that's what the age to come is. It, is he it comes from heaven. It's not something that, e that, that earth can produce, that, that can just come out of history. It comes from heaven, uh, but it's, 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 it's a future. It's not outside of history. It is from the future. God's, God's uh, uh, work of, uh, of redemption. Uh, sure, just a, a brief comment about, yeah, um, it's, 
It's related, Brennan. Yeah, it's related. Uh, yeah, well, first of, first of all, Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's an interesting way of putting it in Romans 1. Paul begins by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart from the go- for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. So He was justified. He was declared the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. And uh, so in a very real sense, Jesus was justified uh, in His resurrection. That's why we are justified uh, uh, he was crucified for our sins and was raised for our justification because he was also raised for his own justification. In his justification, we are justified. And that's primarily associated with his resurrection, whereas our forgiveness of sins is associated with his cross. So now, he is raised, he is vindicated as the Son of God in power, as the Savior, and... We are justified. We are, de- we are declared righteous through faith in Him. And then one day, at the last judgment, that will be publicly revealed. But the problem, the problem I hear sometimes in, even sometimes in reform circles of late, is that justification is the already that corresponds to some not yet aspect of salvation up ahead. Um, even worse is the suggestion of some that the verdict of the last day could be different from the present justification that, that we have. I don't see any basis for either one of those in the New Testament. When it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are now declared righteous, what he's saying is the, last judge, the verdict of the last judgment has already been rendered in your case. You already have have heard the, the uh, judge deliver his, his sentence. What? Yeah, you have passed from death into life. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying this has already happened for me? Yes, and now you're in here. Not yet consummated, but begun, inaugurated. For you, it has already it has already begun, and and just as justification has been consummated for you, even now, even now, those who do not believe are condemned already. And, and that's why it's so important. It's so important. With all of these gifts, with all of these gifts, to not harden our hearts when we hear the word. Because it's, this is the day of salvation. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 interceding as a defense attorney. I mean, this is this is great. There there are, uh, you know, you need a lawyer in heaven and you need a lawyer on earth. Um, you know, you can have too many lawyers, but not in this case, knowing who we are and how much we need legal help. Um, we have we have we have two divine attorneys. <laughs> They're God. This is just amazing. They're not. 
human representatives. They're not. They're God. They're two persons of the Holy Trinity are our lawyers. And the Son is doing that law, that 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 legal work, defending us in heaven. He's already kicked the prosecuting attorney out of heaven. And so that kind of, you know, it's not like there's a case to win. <laughs> it's been won. And. And, uh, but he's praying that our faith will not fail and, and so forth. And he's also uh, determining the progress of his kingdom. He's ruling and reigning with a scepter in his hand sitting on the throne. The Holy Spirit is the one who's leading the ground forces, just as he led the campaigns of Israel in the holy wars of the Old Testament by pillar and cloud. The Holy Spirit is doing that now, uh, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Okay, well... Thanks for your attentiveness. We'll uh, um, wind up this uh, Great Commission series then uh, next time. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've set your Son into the world to save us from our sins, to accomplish everything for our salvation, and that he alone has all authority in heaven and on earth. We thank you that you have given us clear instructions about the uh, message, the mission, and the strategy for this commission, we thank you that you have given us that promise in your son that he will be with us, uh, not yet bodily, not till he returns. Nothing can substitute for his bodily presence one day. And yet the down payment of the Holy Spirit as the one who cries within us, assuring us of our salvation, but also crying within us, oh, even so, Lord, come quickly. Thank you for his presence in our hearts. We thank you that we have that conviction of sin and our justification before your Father's throne because of what you have done and because the Holy Spirit has been sent, shed abroad in our hearts throughout the world. Help us, Father, in the light of this good news, your accomplishment, what you have done and are doing and will do, help us to be freed up, to be liberated, to be heralds of good news where we are, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills, come back and listen to the final lecture in this series that we've been working through on the Great Commission. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? 
tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package, sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see here. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 
off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're not preaching the gospel to you as a Christian. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons. You've heard me talk about it many times here. We can't do what we do without you. And uh, thank you ahead of time for uh, supporting us. And if you're already supporting us, thank you because uh, you made it possible for us to bring this program to you today. All right, here's the final lecture in the Great Commission series that we've been working our our way through uh, by Dr. Michael Horton. Here's lecture number 20. Here we go. Up this whole series that we've done throughout the fall on the Great Commission, uh, and uh, uh, we'll leave plenty of time for Q&A since I haven't done that yet for about 20 weeks. Uh, so if you've been storing anything up, anything that has been seething, uh, some frustrating aspect of what I've said that you want to uh, you want to throw out there and have uh, out there on the table for discussion, this is. A good day uh, to do that. First of all, just a little bit of uh, update on how uh, Korea went. Yes, it was just South Korea, um, and uh, no invitations from North Korea. Uh, and uh, it started with the invitation of a church there, the Yulin uh, Presbyterian Church. And uh, they have, a, a, it's a very interesting church because they have a very rigorous program of, of catechesis it almost makes me nervous uh, <laughs> you know I, I, I feel like an antinomian uh, in, in that group when it comes to catechesis and uh, they they take people through the Westminster Shorter Catechism just for inquirers and then uh, apologetics and uh, especially the younger people in the church just eat that up the apologetics part of it then if you uh, go through a six month catechesis program, you uh, become a candidate for becoming a member. And then you take another exam (laughs) down the road if you want to serve in an office, and you have to have that renewed once a year. The people are generally on the same page. (laughs) Uh, And it's... You know, it's not it's not at all cult-like. It's uh, people are really reaching out. There, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, you know when people know what they believe and why they believe it, they get out there and talk to people. And that's uh, this church is very much involved in. You know, Seoul is like New York City or L.A. It's a very multicultural, multi-ethnic place, and so you have uh, lots of people, especially from all over Asia, who are there. And this church has multiple services for them. They have uh, they have five uh, main services a day with about uh, 
with about 1,500 people in each service. And uh, so it's really hampering. This catechesis is really holding them down, as you can tell, uh, really uh, uh, inimical to church growth. They are, are really involved in China. So uh, really exciting uh, things uh, opening up there. And uh, also uh, preached at a couple of, of other churches while I was there, a couple of seminaries, um, one broad evangelical seminary, another one that was a sister is a sister seminary to the two Westminsters. It's called Hapdong. Uh, they have a very similar history of breaking away from their Princeton, their version of Princeton. And uh, so we have very close relations with them, have for many years, and it was great to be there with them. The Reformed Theological Society uh, meeting uh, also uh, was great, and uh, what I could understand of it. And uh, it's just very exciting. They, they publish all of my books as they come out in Korean. They translate it. And uh, so there were a lot of people there uh, who were familiar with White Horse Inn and Modern Reformation, and hopefully Modern Reformation magazine uh, itself will uh, start coming out now in Korean. And uh, so it was very exciting to see so many people uh, excited about uh, Reformation theology and in a country where there is actually a heritage, a, a, a big heritage of confessional uh, Reformed and Presbyterian faith, um, it is still, the Presbyterian churches are still the largest churches in South Korea. And uh, uh, because of that missionary effort. And uh, yet, they have been influenced by the same trends that we have. Uh, so anything that you can imagine as something affecting us, positively or negatively, is affecting uh, our Korean brothers and sisters in the same way. So, uh, thank you for your prayers and uh, encouragement. I know Pastor Brown is going to, is it next week you're going to talk about Italy? All right. And uh, uh, Pastor Brown's trip uh, to Italy. And uh, it's just very exciting for us. I think Pastor Brown would say the same thing, to, to, to get out and appreciate what a blessing you are to us so that we can go out and uh, be, a, be a blessing to others. And, and you all are that for us. So it makes it possible for us to continue the ministry of this church in other places. Okay. Uh, the, the summary of the, the last several months. The discussion of the Great Commission began with our Lord's own announcement where he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And I pointed out there that it's significant that he doesn't start out with an imperative, but as is typical, he grounds imperatives and in indicatives, commands in promises. And he does that here with the Great Commission. Uh, very, it's very important that we don't just start with the imperative go into all the world and preach the gospel. I, you know, many of us remember churches we were raised in. That was a emblazoned or scrawled across the, uh, the entryway. Go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, but the, 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 the announcement is what grounds it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We're not, we're not going out there to complete Jesus' mission. You know, he did an awful lot of it. 
about, about like 80%, seriously. It's a lot of the work. Uh, and and that, that really leaves just uh, 20% for us. And uh, we are continuing the incarnation. We're living the gospel. We're finishing this. We're, he got it started and we're just winding it up. No, 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 no. He has finished it. He's completed it. His work is completed. His work is qualitatively different from our work. He accomplished redemption, and now the Holy Spirit is applying that redemption through the proclamation of its having happened. So God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and now he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, as Christ's ambassadors, to call people to repentance and to faith in Christ. So the great announcement, we went through some of the passages, especially in John, that flesh out Jesus' meaning when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, including his high priestly prayer where he says, you gave me authority over all flesh so that I may give eternal life to those you have given me, for they are yours and you gave them to me. And so he accomplished that work, and we talked also about the context of Jesus' ministry in the light of the signal events in in, in the Old Testament. Uh, ask any Israelite walking around in Jesus' day, what are the three main events in your history? And they would all have very easily and quickly said, the exodus from Egypt, the wilderness at Sinai, especially meeting at Sinai, but the wilderness uh, in between, uh, and then the conquest. So exodus, conquest, and in between, wilderness, Sinai. That's, those are the three major events in our history. So we talked about how when Jesus came, that's what people were thinking. People were, the Pharisees at least, which was the largest party, they thought that the Messiah would come and basically take the needle, no one understands this illustration anymore, <coughs> um, uh, takes the, uh, 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 presses the, the uh, I, don't even, I don't know how to do this, what? what is this? Going backwards. I'm going uh, scan. No, not scan. What is it? The, okay. Thank you. Rewind. I know. It's just, it's tragic. It's sad. But our children will hopefully go beyond us. Uh, and uh, rewind. It's just going to be rewind and replay. We're just going to start all over again. And Jesus is going to be a new Moses. And you even see that with John the Baptist. And here he is sitting in prison, wondering what on earth is going to happen. I, I, I thought my cousin was the Messiah. And it seems not. Because here I am sitting in prison. I'm pretty sure that tomorrow morning I'm going to have my head removed from my body by a wicked king. And where is the Messiah establishing his kingdom and, and reigning in righteousness and glory? Yeah, a few people are raised, a few people are healed here and there. This is nothing like what I expected of the coming glory of the kingdom. And John the Baptist sends disciples, his, some of his disciples to Jesus to ask the big question, hey, are you the guy or not? And Jesus says, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The blind have their eyes open, the ear, deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. 
<laughs> we kind of sometimes miss the tension there between Jesus and John. Not because John wasn't a believer, but because he, he, was, he was trying to... There's an earthquake going on here, seismic activity, and he's just trying to stay on his feet. He's trying to understand and come to grips with this new thing that Jesus is doing, which is far greater than any kind of replay of the Sinai theocracy. Jesus' own disciples don't get it. We saw that over and over again. Jesus' own disciples are still thinking Exodus, wilderness, conquest, replay. Not that this is an Exodus far greater than any liberation from the nation of Egypt. Far greater than than, uh, 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 a rescue over an enemy far greater than a temporal persecutor of the church, but over Satan, death, and hell. And a wilderness that is much greater, a testing that is much greater than anything we saw in the Old Testament, and a conquest that is much greater. Now Jesus is standing in the Sermon on the Mount and saying, you've heard it said, go drive the sinners out of the land. But I say, And he's not saying that it was wrong to do that in the Old Testament. He's saying it's a different regime now. This is the new covenant, not the old covenant. This is not hit replay. This is not a do-over. This is something radically new. This is something far greater than anything that Moses had provision for in the law that God gave him. And so the conquest is through the Spirit, through through, through the power of the Word and the Spirit, Jesus Christ becoming king in fact, not just in, 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 uh, uh, in, in the abstract, but in fact, in truth, becoming the king of all nations, not by the sword uh, of secular government, but by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And even as those holding that sword are, are martyred en masse in many cases very different kind of conquest than anything that the disciples were ready for when they even ask him up to the time when he's ascended, right up to the moment of ascension day, they ask him, all right, now? I mean, this is, I'm not sure we have a lot of events left <laughs> with you. Now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, that, uh, the, the the, the times and seasons are not for you to know. All I'll tell you is this. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. It's like an answer to a question they weren't asking. But it was the answer to their question. The Holy Spirit is the, is the one who leads the people of God through the waters, through the wilderness, on into the, on into the Holy Land. The Holy Spirit is the one who conquers and subdues enemies. Go sit there. Don't talk to the media. Don't, if anybody asks you, just, just mumble a few things. You're not ready to be witnesses. You're going to mess it all up for me. Uh, don't be my PR agents <laughs> for a while. Just kind of be quiet. Go lock yourself up in that room. Then the Holy Spirit will come and then you'll be my witnesses. He will equip you. And then you have Peter, the fumbling, bumbling uh, guy, one minute he gets it, the next minute he doesn't, da, 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 you know, back and forth just like us, standing on the steps of the temple proclaiming Christ from all of the Old Testament. 
people cut to the quick, cry out, how, how can we be saved? And Peter says, be baptized for the remission of your sins. The Spirit will come upon you. They're baptized, and then they gather regularly for the apostles. Teaching and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So throughout the book of Acts, it plays itself out on the ground. The Great Commission is actually playing itself out on the ground, and we have nothing there of the church being called to improve the sanitation of Damascus. Nothing in there of the church's responsibility to transform Jewish society or Roman society. Uh, Nothing nothing at all about those things. It It is proclaim the word, baptize, and teach them everything that I have commanded you. The word, the sacraments, and discipline. That's why we say the true church is present wherever the, the word is rightly preached, the sacraments are rightly administered, and there is church discipline. It's based on the, on the, on the, the Great Commission. And that Great Commission as it is played out on the ground in the book of Acts. This is how God blesses his work. And so the message is God alone saves. You need a mission that goes along with that. We're not saving anyone. We are, we are, uh, we are beggars bringing uh, 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 the, the bread to other beggars. And that message has to shape our methods. You know, we're living in a day when we are confusing ourselves with Christ, our works with his work, talking about living the gospel and so forth. So the message is changing. It's not surprising that the mission would change in accord with that. Mission is all about us and our feverish activity and what we do to make the church impressive and interesting and attractive and relevant and so forth. And then the methods, of course, have to be chosen by us. They have to be things that we find relevant and interesting. And people say, well, preaching isn't really working these days. Well, a lot of people's preaching isn't working anymore these days, but the Word is still working. The Word is still doing its job. Uh, well, you know, sacraments, good grief. You gotta, you're joking, right? I mean, this is nothing like the singing Christmas tree. Uh, you know, this is, this is nothing like the, uh, uh, happily, a whole generation of people don't know what the singing Christmas tree is. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, and... Uh, but, you know, all the glitz and glamour and so forth. We've got to find methods to jazz this thing up. And Jesus says, no, actually, it's just what I would like you to do is go bring in some water and set it apart by prayer for holy uses. And I'm going to use it to do something. It's not going to be something they're doing or you're doing. It's something I'm doing. It's really hard. It's really hard for the church to get it into our, our thinking, for Christians to get it into our thinking, that God is the one who is active in the Great Commission. Through us, yes, but God is the, is the actor, and he gets to determine what the methods are because the methods correspond to his mission, which corresponds to his message, and that's the argument Paul makes in Romans 10. The, 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 the theology of works righteousness says, how can I go pull him down or bring him up? The righteousness which is by faith says... I'm going to find him where he has come down to me through the preaching of the gospel. Uh, we talked about mission creep. Uh, we talked about the urgency uh, of 
proclaiming the gospel, uh, especially given the challenges today uh, to the uniqueness of Christ and the need to proclaim the gospel, people often say, well, let's live the gospel, not proclaim the gospel. Or Francis of Assisi's line, uh, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Well, the gospel only comes with words because it's an announcement. It's not a, it's not a command. The gospel is not a report about our victory on the battlefield. It's our bringing the report of someone else's victory on the battlefield. You can't help but use words. Your life may testify to the power of the gospel. Your life may be an aroma that attracts people to the gospel, but your life isn't the gospel. And so that proclamation of the gospel becomes urgent, not only for those who haven't heard and who are far off, but for us every week. It's urgent for us as well. And then finally, the great assurance. Well, we spent two weeks on the great commandment and the great commission. Uh, how the, the, the cry for social justice is a legitimate cry. There are some on the Christian right who think that any talk about social justice is just inherently, uh, well, I'll just say raises red flags, uh, literally. Um, it's socialists. This is communism. This is, you know, whatever. Uh, or on the left, uh, people talk about social justice as if it is the gospel. And what we desperately need to do, talked about this for a few weeks, so I won't repeat it, but what we desperately need to do is recover the fact that one mandate is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, which is distinct from the great commission, which he has called the church to. Now, all human beings, not just Christians, are called to the great commandment. But the church as an institution is only called to the great commission. That is the mandate of the church as an institution. So the church is where disciples are made. The world is where disciples go. The church is where disciples are made. The world is where discipleship goes. That's where we live out our callings, out in the world. And we talked about how that's been reversed very often in our day, where, where people come to church and here after a week of, of sort of being molded according to the pattern of this passing age, people long to be resalinated, to become the salt of the earth again, and very often get just kind of shallow Christian versions of whatever else you'd find out in the world. And so they're not really resalted, bathed in the salt of God's word. And consequently, they don't know what they believe or why they believe it. But it doesn't really matter anyway because they're going to be kept in their Christian ministries. They're going to find a ministry in the church. Everybody's going to find a ministry in the church. And so it doesn't really matter that they don't know what they believe or why they believe it because they're not going to meet any non-Christian saints, okay? <laughs> they're going to be doing this group and that group and this group and that group and this group and that group and doing all of their good works with their fellow Christians so that no one can see the light. And so we are of the world but not in it instead of being in the world but not of it. And so we talked about how important it is for the Great Commission to be allowed to do its work and then let, let, let God do his work through Christians out in the world fulfilling their worldly callings. 
alongside non-Christians. As Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderfully liberating kind of deal. Uh, Then finally, the great assurance. Not only does God, uh, in the person of Christ, begin the Great Commission with a great announcement, he finishes it again with the gospel, a great assurance. And lo, I am with you, even always, even to the end of the age. Wonderful assurance. And we talked about how can that be true if he is raised bodily? How can he say, I will be with you, even to the end of the age? And how that underscores the importance of the Holy Spirit and the means of grace. So I won't repeat that material. But this is the basic summary of what we have discussed over these last several months. Uh, Now let me open it up for uh, any questions, discussion, personal attacks? Wes? What do you say to the sometimes that we as people and saying that we should pursue They're really, uh, Wes asked, what do you do about the, uh, when people say, well, by their fruit you shall know them and look at all, the, all of the people we have in our church. We're bringing them in. Um, on one side, we can be so picky. We, we can, uh, uh, y- you know, uh, uh, make people pass uh, an exam for, uh, you know, every, tell me how you shared the gospel. I'm like, clipboard, you know. Okay, wrong, that sentence was wrong, that sentence was right. You know, we can be so, this is what what, uh, D.L. Moody had in mind when he said, probably with a Calvinist in mind, um, I like my way of of, uh, uh, delivering the gospel better than your way of not doing it. Um, And, uh, you know, it's always been a caricature. Of course, uh, Reformed people have have been at the forefront of modern missions but not at all at the forefront of the church growth movement and these other pragmatic movements um, that tend to say, and people like John Stott and uh, Doug Birdsall with the Lausanne movement, uh, leaders of sort of evangelical missions are saying this. It's not just reformed, uh, you know, sort of grumpy Calvinists. Um, that evangelicalism has become so driven by pragmatism, it doesn't even know what to do with the gospel. It doesn't even know what to... It's like going down... It just the, Its own weight is carrying it down the hill now, and it's hard to stop the thing. Um, we've just become distracted from what it is we're supposed to say, <laughs> how it is we're supposed to deliver it, and how the kingdom comes. You want to say, well, you're, it, it's, it's, it's working, but is it really working? Doug Birdsall, again, he's the executive director of the Lausanne Committee on World Evangelization. He says, 
Uh, I'm nervous that I, I'm nervous when people tell me about all the success that they just had in this country or that country in terms of evangelism. I'm now at the place where I'm actually concerned about it, and I, I want to know more about what it is they've been doing there and what, it, what they've been teaching and saying because now I look all around, all around the world where evangelical missions is at work, and I, I scratch my head and I say, wow, may, may, may God keep this from growing. That's a horrible, very tragic thing to say. Islam is growing. Mormonism is growing. Uh, the prosperity gospel is growing. Lots of things are growing quickly. Cancer grows. Uh, uh, just as, you know, maybe even more quickly than, uh, than, than healthy children do. Uh, so you have to be really careful about making that the criterion for what you do. Um, yeah, I'll just stop there. Angela? In my longest four years, I, um, if you don't become missionary or if you don't feel the possible speech to say go to Africa or how do we how are we to confront the church? How do we how do we deal with uh, all these different issues? Since I left the church that I left Yeah, um, well, the, I think the first thing is, is to recognize that, and Angela's question is, what if, uh, uh, you know, some of, some of her friends thinks, think, think that she's joined a cult uh, because uh, this is a sort of strange teaching and who can bear it? And it's, it's uh, um, what do you do in these, these cases? And what can people do who aren't called to pastoral ministry uh, in these areas. Um, okay, well, the first question. I think that we have to accept that there's a kind of provincialism or parochialism that we all have that says uh, anybody who is outside of my world is part of a cult. And so we do that, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, uh, anybody who was a Presbyterian was just a non-Christian. <laughs> you know, uh, now next subject, and uh, it, 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 it just what you kind of grow up in is is say Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons uh, think that that's normal, and whatever is outside of that group is a, is a cult. A cult cult is defined by, by uh, uh, rejecting the Catholic faith, summarized in the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. Well, we confess that every week. Many of the groups that might say this is a cult don't and would be against doing that. And so, you know, uh, let's maybe not draw out the cult card. Um, on every one of those doctrines, uh, many of our brothers and sisters who don't confess a creed are creedal in the content, in the substance, but don't have creeds. Uh, you know, we, it's something uh, worth talking about. But to say that a church is non-credal 
that actually joyfully confesses the creed every week is a, a little, a little uh, uh, implausible. So that's one thing, I think, for people just to understand what it is that we're talking about. It does seem strange. What we're doing here actually has been done by Christians for 2,000 years. And it's strange, and it will be strange. We just have to get over it. It is strange. It's very odd in the world in which we're living um, to actually pray for particular people during a service. It wasn't just a generation ago, but it is now. No one really cares. About, about, yeah, no, that's why we came to church, to intercede for each other, so the communion of saints. Why do we have communion every week? Well, because every week the Lord seals his promises. Uh, you know, there's a logic to why we do what we do. The other issue, what can we do if, if God has not called us to pastoral ministry well, first of all, God has called us to the general office of prophets, priests, and kings. All of us are called and are, are, uh, 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 have it ratified in our baptism, this calling to teach each other. In fact, Paul says that in our singing in the services, we are teaching and admonishing each other in all wisdom so that Christ dwells in us richly. We're actually teaching each other when we're singing one of the purposes of singing in church. Uh, we teach each other in Bible studies. We teach each other just in everyday conversation in the coffee room. Don't ever think, I'm not a pastor. I don't hold office. I can't teach somebody else. Or I'm not a pastor, therefore I can't talk to someone else about Christ. I can't witness that. They're just, I just get them to church. Don't ever imagine... I can't help this brother or sister financially because I'm not a deacon. I'll send them to the deacons. Uh, we all hold the general office of prophet, priest, and king. Did you know we're all free because of our baptism to actually hear confessions and absolve them? Every Christian can do that. As Calvin points out, the only reason uh, we, we, we have ministers do things like this is because they are especially called as public representatives of Christ and are, are, are given an official, publicly, publicly official task in doing this. But all believers can. All believers have this gift bestowed on them by the Spirit. Having said all of that, he has called pastors, teachers, evangelists uh, to proclaim the gospel, elders to oversee the spiritual needs of the community, and deacons to oversee the temporal needs of the community. But there is so much that Christians can do in the wider office, that sense of, of the, the general office that all Christians have, distinct from the special office that some members are called to as office bearers in the church. Uh, one example I'll just throw out here, my buddy... Uh, uh, Rico Tice has put together this thing called Christianity Explored. And uh, it's very sound. It, it's, it's terrific. We were friends from Oxford days, and he has a very clear understanding of the distinction between law and gospel. Uh, in fact, his whole summary for what he does is the, the, the bad news is worse than you ever thought, and the good news is greater than you ever imagined. And a nice way of 
putting it. But he goes through the Gospel of Mark. It's not a gimmick. It's not a, you know, four steps to this, three principles for that, and so forth. It's a story. It's, it's the story of the Gospel throughout the Gospel of Mark. And so it hits those highlights. You can take the CDs. You can use them with friends, have, have friends and neighbors come over. The main thing, I think, is, is, is just to, the more you know what you believe and why you believe it, and then open yourself up, your life, to your neighbors, the more opportunities arise to just naturally present the gospel. Christianity Explored is a great way programmatically to do that. And I think sometimes we need programs. Nothing wrong with a good program. But also just in our lives, I, Lisa started, uh, she's going to hate that I brought this up, but uh, Lisa started a reading group. Doesn't call it Bible study or anything like that. They don't even start with prayer uh, um, because a, a couple of the ladies aren't Christians. Aren't, uh, so, uh, but, but uh, ladies in the neighborhood. Uh, and uh, um, they sit around the table and she said, uh, we're going through the Christian faith, my systematic theology. I said, what are you, nuts? The Christian, the, the, the systematic theology, I mean, are you seriously? There are all sorts of great books. Why go through a systematic theology? And I thought that she was just crazy to do this. But they were yesterday going through the Trinity. And these non-Christian uh, ladies were asking tons of questions and saying, huh, this is interesting, this is... Yeah, I was in. I, I was playing around with being in a cult once, and they said this and da 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 da. And, you know, even things that we didn't know about these people, and and it's great conversations. And Lisa asked one of them in particular, "So where are you now with the Trinity?" And, you know, I mean that that's exciting, and I would not have done that. I would have said, "Wow, that's kind of like uh, uh, something that this guy Namjoon Kim would do in Korea." Uh, <laughs> that's intense. Uh, but you know what? I think that we underestimate the questions and the depth of the questions that non-Christians have and are willing to wrestle with. What they are turned off by are superficial representations of the Christian faith where you wind up with, now, are you willing to invite Jesus into your heart and make him your personal Lord and Savior? Like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, so I would say... You know, get, even just get people together in the neighborhood and, and, and say, we're going to have a reading group. Don't make it religious. You know, don't have a prayer beforehand. You can't pray with non-Christians anyway. Uh, have just a reading group. And, hey, we're just trying to understand these things. We're just talking about these things. Uh, get get uh, uh, things going at Starbucks or, or uh, uh, you know, I have a uh, friend in Washington, D.C. who uh, decided to, to uh, have a discussion night at the pub. And so he shows up there and people just come out of the woodwork to ask questions. They would never darken the door of a church. But they, they come there. And I think that, that people who are not ordained can do things like that. Accountable to the, the pastors and elders. But... but uh, but should be encouraged to do things like that. One more, and then we'll.
Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it's, it, <laughs> well, and we're, you know, we do all this winsomely. We do it knowing that they are, uh, that, 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 that uh, I, I remember when I thought it was all a cult. And, and then when my parents thought I was getting into a cult, uh, and uh, you, you, again, you always do when it's something strange and unfamiliar and, and you're not used to it. The, the real definition of a cult is that which breaks away from the orthodox mainstream Christian faith. And, um, you know, that we have to be shown where we're doing that. So, uh, with that, uh, we will uh, close it. And then, again, next week, Pastor Brown is going to talk about uh, Italy. And, I mean, not just the nation in general, but uh, his, his recent uh, trip there and the ministry, uh, the uh, church planting ministry. Uh, so uh, we're we're done for the summer uh, after that. Um, that's right, isn't it? Okay.